The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Welcome to Squawk Box. We're coming to you live from London and Ambrosetti this morning. Here are your headlines. The Dow jumps in session more than 150 points amid hopes for a U.S.-China trade deal. As Beijing's top trade negotiator says, a new consensus has been reached and President Trump signals an agreement may come in the next four weeks. It's a massive deal. Could be one of the, I guess it is if you think about it, the biggest deal ever made. There can't be a deal like this. No matter where you look, there can't be a deal like this. This is, uh, this is the granddaddy of them all. Well, the man who coined the BRIC acronym, that's Jim O'Neill, former chair of Goldman Sachs Asset Management, tells me here at the Ambrosetti Spring Forum in Italy that he believes a deal will get done, but it will not solve the longer term issues plaguing the world's largest economies. I'm not sure if it permanently resolves. Some of the issues, ironically, that Trump has unveiled in the US political system. He's, he's now, of course, being regarded as a bit of a softie on China, which is quite funny given where he started from. President Trump recommends Herman Cain for a seat on the Federal Reserve Board, calling the former Republican presidential candidate, quote, somebody that gets it. A US federal judge gives Tesla CEO Elon Musk and the SEC two weeks to sort out their differences over contempt claims, telling both sides to, quote, put their reasonableness Pants on. A very warm welcome to Squawk Box on the final day of trade for this week. Yesterday, stateside, we saw stocks continue to march higher as investors focused on U.S.-China trade talks in Washington and prepared for today's non-farm payrolls report. Taking a look at the three major indices, the Dow and the S&P 500, both logged modest gains over the course of the day. The Nasdaq just ending a touch lower in negative territory. For the week, though, overall, all three major indices uh, in positive territory. And on those trade talks, the positive signals coming out over the last 24 hours. President Trump met with the Chinese vice premier in the Oval Office yesterday, uh, and he said that we should know within the next four weeks whether or not the countries can agree a deal. Now, taking a look at oil markets, this has been a space we've been watching over the course of the week. Started out very strong with both WTI and Brent marching higher. Over the last two days or so, it's been a slightly more muted picture. WTI trading about two basis points lower this morning. Overall, though, for the week, both Brent and WTI still in positive territory. Let's take a look at the Asian markets overnight. Now, greater China markets are closed, so we have a slightly different picture, a slightly different glimpse into what Asian investors are thinking. The Nikkei 225 up about 0.3% uh, overnight. The cost be pretty much flat. So Asian markets once again in a little bit of a holding pattern as we await more concrete news out of those talks going on in Washington. Uh, let's switch over to uh, European opening calls and see how these markets are poised to open. Yesterday marked the end of a four-day winning streak for the stock 600. We saw that index trade in negative territory. And now it looks like we're in for 
for a little bit of a bounce at the open. The FTSE 100 looking for a six-point rise at the open. The DAX for 11 points. And the FTSE MIB in Italy up 40 points. Uh, Italy stocks were down yesterday in particular, so it'll be interesting to see that market and how it trades over the course of the coming day. Karen? Thanks, Juliana. President Trump has sounded an optimistic note on trade talks with China, saying a deal may be reached in four weeks. Speaking alongside Chinese Vice Premier Li He in the Oval Office, Trump described a potential deal as, quote, comprehensive. Li He later on said a new consensus had been reached in talks, according to Xinhua News Agency. President Trump also said if a deal is reached, a summit will take place in the United States. Well, if we have a deal, there'll be a summit. Uh, I would say we'll know over the next four weeks, but I think that's correct, Bob, would you say? And I look forward to seeing President Xi. It'll be here. And uh, if, we, if we have a deal, then we're going to have a summit. If we don't have a deal, we're not going to have a summit. But there's a very good chance that we'll have the summit. We've negotiated out some of the toughest point, really the tougher points. And, uh, but we have some ways to go, and I think we have a very good chance of getting there. And the question for many investors is what happens to the markets if there is a trade deal? Let's get out to Stephen Moore from the Ambrosetti Finance Workshop in Genobio. And Steve, I know this is one of your favourite outside broadcasts from the, the beautiful shores of Lake Como. <laughs> I, I want to get to that message that you had from uh, Lord O'Neill talking about the end to the 10-year bull market because we're just a whisker off an all-time record for the Dow and S&P. Is there more coming? Are we right in the final stages of the, the last party, so to speak, for markets? Yeah, there's lots of amazing things we talked about. We actually went a bit over it. It's supposed to be about a seven-minute interview. I went 25 minutes with him. I went 25 minutes with Trevor Manuel, the former finance minister of South Africa. Um, actually, fascinating getting longer time. You know what it's like, Karen. You have short interviews here on CNBC on the show, but then you get a little longer time to chat to these people. And you find so many things that are really, really important to talk about. And they've got some great opinions. Talking of Jim O'Neill, uh, Baron Gatley, um, who is he's tied to know because he was a crossbencher, of course, as well, in the House of Lords as well. Very interesting thoughts on Brexit, very interesting thoughts on the market. But I mean, you and I are now data driven because the Fed's data driven and we're looking at all these individual factors. And, and what I thought was fascinating yesterday was the weekly jobless claims. And you would have mentioned that, I'm sure, as well. But 202,000 jobs create uh, uh, weekly jobless claims. That was the weakest figure or the, the lowest jobless claims since 1969. So I was like, well, how come? How can the Fed conclusively, how can the market conclusively believe that rates are going down if we're seeing data like that. And we talked about the Phillips curve and stuff as well. But we also talked a lot about trade as well. And that's where I want to start off with, if I can, because we talked about the importance of this relationship. And you and I and Jeff have pontificated ad nauseum with our, our, our viewers and uh, our guests about whether the world is going to be so much better place if we get a US-China trade deal. Is it so important? Are there other factors that are going to still predominate even if we get a trade deal? And he was making some very interesting points about the importance of that bilateral relationship and the importance of that relationship on growth over the last 10 years. Why don't we listen in and then we'll get to talk about the bit about the markets as well. I'm now six years to the month away from my life at Coleman. So I'm not, I'm not close to the day-to-day -day about all this stuff in the way I used to be. However, number two, 85% of everything that's uh, positively affected the world economy since 2010 has come from China and the US. So if they are going to do something meaningful, uh, a minimum to stop kicking two shades of you know what out of each other, uh, and the positive side of that, if they're actually going to be on a more stable 
permanent footing, I think that, that would, would be a big deal. Three, I'm not sure whatever this deal, which looks to me by the day, increasingly likely will happen. I'm not sure if it permanently resolves some of the issues, ironically, that Trump has unveiled in the US political system. He's, he's now, of course, being regarded as a bit of a softie on China, which is quite funny given where he started from. But what is really interesting is we're just talking off camera and you said you were more pessimistic about the prospects two weeks ago. Is that how one of the most you know, kind of famous uh, watchers of the global economy is changing his opinion over a two-week basis on the basis of what? I know. I, I, six years out of Goldman Sachs, I should be just stuck at 40,000 feet stuff. So it, yeah. it is a ridiculous comment. But however, uh, let, me, let me explain it a bit more. Of all the proprietary and published indicators that I helped develop at Goldman, which went into one leading indicator, uh, in the six years since I've left, the, the, the five most important publicly available ones, I watch them every month. Uh, and since last November, they have all been going down. Uh, the past fortnight, signs of them stabilizing. And so that in itself is a relief. Uh, but the, 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 the secondary thought beyond that is why? And I think it's possibly because since the Fed suddenly shifted to no tightening in January, I guess it was, we've had a big rise in financial conditions in the US and elsewhere. And that's like a lead leading indicator of the kind of indicators we've just had. So it might well be that the mechanism is kicking in. And then more specifically, China, of course, has also been doing its own thing with a bit of fiscal stimulus here, a bit there, a bit of monetary help. And it certainly looks like that's having a bit of an impact in stopping the decline of the Chinese economy. It's far, it's far too early, as you imply with your question, to get carried away by just one month's bit of data. But it's a, after what we've had as a clear trend for many months, uh, it's a relief. But the market's gone from, and if we're talking about the pragmatism of central banks and the Federal Reserve yeah. especially, the market's gone from we are shooing to have rate hikes in 2019 yeah. to actually there's a 75% chance by the end of the year we're going to have a rate cut. Yeah. How can we possibly have rate cuts when we've just today, Thursday the 4th of April, had the best jobless figures yeah, yeah. for 49 years? Well, it's a fair comment. Um, you know, I think, again, emphasising how distant I am from the, the market's You're business. You're not that distant. I mean, I'm still, you know, it's in my veins, but <laughs> yeah. I'm, not, I'm not having to yeah. deal with the responsibility of it. But I would imagine uh, people who sit in the kind of shoes or seats I sat in, they need to probably be more adaptive to the idea that the central bankers might be moving all over the place. And, and actually, I think that's quite a skill we've got with the Fed, Bank of England and ECB. You've got very pragmatic governors or leaders at the moment. And so having so much confidence about where rates are going to be in six months, never mind uh, 16 months, I think is a mistake. And you're right, uh, um, because the Fed paused because they, they saw worrying signs, too much tightening of financial conditions, inversion of the curve. Uh, some of these uh, monthly indicators I've talked about, particularly outside the US. But if we see them all starting to pick up again, uh, the idea that actually maybe the markets were right all along and the Fed will be tightening by the end of the year is not a crazy thought in my view. 
That's uh, part of the conversation so far we had with uh, Jim O'Neill. A couple of really interesting points. So 85% of everything good that's happened in the world economy over the last 10 years has happened pretty much out of those two economies, China and US. And I thought that was really interesting of why we obsess so much and why the markets are obsessing so much uh, about that bilateral relationship. Uh, Trump, bit of a softy on China as well. Again, that was quite an interesting comment as well. I thought a few of our viewers might find that one a bit of a chuckle. Uh, and the third point as well is in the last two weeks as well, the fact that so many of those key indicators have turned Around, having been so pessimistic uh, for such a long time. We also talked about the data, of course, and we talked about um, how can the Fed cut given that environment. And he was you know, saying, yeah, it's a really tricky environment to, to, um, to, to absorb from the Federal Reserve and other central banks' point of view. But he was saying they're going to be pragmatic going forward. And I said to him, well, pragmatic or flip-flop? Because that's what, of course, the Bank of England governor, Mark Carney, has been accused of a lot of times. And if we are seeing this new phase of pragmatism or flip-flopping, depending on you uh, agree with them or not as well. What does it mean for markets? Are markets ready for this? Can markets handle it? Let's listen in. They probably won't. I mean, I think to repeat what we've had in global equity markets Q1, it's going to be tough. Um, you know, we've had a pretty good 10 years in the first place. So valuation wise, the US market is definitely not cheap. And as we saw in the fourth quarter, it is very sensitive to any marginal bad news. Uh, so if we get back to the idea, well, actually, maybe the Fed is tightening, the, the US equity market is not going to like that. The bond market wouldn't like it at all. Precipitous declines in Q4, incredible gains in Q1, Q2, 3, 4, we could see similar kind of so oscillations. I think, you know, if there's an underlying message, which, which I think links a little bit, I think we might be entering the end of the 10-ish year almost clear bull market in equities because the kind of volatility we are, have seen the past six months, of course, has been very different than the past 10 years. And, you know, you and I go back a bit longer. A lot and, longer uh, yeah. and this kind of volatility is when you're starting to see a shift to some kind of new picture. Hopefully, it isn't the, 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 you know, the early bits of what will then end up being some sustained bear market. But I would have thought it's much more likely that this kind of broad volatility is going to continue. Because secondly, uh, what, what if you stand back, it all really suggests is, is the markets in particular, but maybe the economies are indeed ex excessively dependent on the friendliness of central banks. And if for some crazy reason, we finally did get the inflation coming through that my, my uh, so-called profession would have expected a good two or three years ago. At Peter least. Oppenheimer, at least three years ago, was talking about the long goodbye to bonds. The... Peter <laughs> is a... I would never dream of saying anything uh, contrary to Peter, but, um, you know, one of the... It was longer than three years ago, that piece, I'm pretty I, sure. I'm sure. Well, yeah, one, one, yeah. one of the big shocks to the, uh, the underlying presumption of a lot of economic forecasters is, is the so-called Phillips curve, that the kind of levels of unemployment we've got in the US the UK, uh, and probably many other places, by now, in a textbook, inflation should be at almost twice where it is. And of course, because it hasn't happened, we're all starting to think, well, there's a new paradigm and there's all these reasons that none of us really know why. But it's not impossible that it does start to come through. And if that did, then you'd have a, a considerable dilemma because the central banks couldn't be as flexible as they've been allowed to be by the absence of inflation again the past year. 
That's part of our conversation yesterday with uh, Jim O'Neill here on CNBC. And I, I think it's just fascinating. If for some crazy reason that uh, inflation does rear its head at some stage, we do see the Phillips curve back again. The over-reliance on central banks could create some really tasty t uh, signs for not only the bond market, but for uh, equity markets and risk on generally as well. Look, Karen, uh, Juliana, we've got lots of amazing guests coming up over the next few hours as well. Let me just talk through uh, one or two of them. Uh, Lawrence Boone, who is the chief economist at the OECD, and Karen, you'll, you'll, you'll be very impressed with this. 100% of the chief economists at the top three global institutions, OECD, uh, the IMF and the World Bank, are women now. How about that for a stat for, uh, uh, for, for gender equality? And I actually had a very long and really interesting moderation with um, Penelope Goldberg uh, from the World Bank yesterday as well. She had some amazing things to say about poverty, diversity, gender gaps, you name it as well. But she's coming up on the show in around about 10, 15 minutes time as well. Uh, then we've got Clemens Fust, who is the president of the IFO Institute. And there is so much going on in Germany we need to talk about, whether it's the factory orders, whether it's the need for industrial policy, what's going on with Deutsche Bank, Commerzbank, where's the confidence in Germany as well. So we'll talk about that with Clemens Fuss coming up as well. Richard Kuh's going to join us from the Namura Research Institute. He's the chief economist there. Uh, and then Pierre Carlo Padouan, the former finance minister of Italy. Well, we'll try and draw him out a little bit on what on earth is going on with Italian politics at the moment as well. So plenty to look forward to uh, here from the spring workshop in Chernobyl. Back to you both. Fabulous lineup, Steve. Thank you very much. Looking forward to the conversations then around Brexit as we just have some news crossing this morning from uh, BBC sources uh, citing a senior EU source. They're saying the European Council President Donald Tusk is proposing to offer the UK a 12-month flexible extension to its Brexit date. So that is the latest being discussed in Brussels. Uh, whether that would be welcome here in the UK, you may recall yesterday there were a number of lawmakers, 25 lawmakers in the opposition party, the Labour Party, now urging Jeremy Corbyn, their leader, to go the extra step if there is a chance of agreeing Brexit uh, with Theresa May. So effectively reach out further to grasp her hand than you may necessarily do to get a Brexit deal done. So. I would dare say there's more appetite for a, a quick deal, a deal soon, rather than a 12-month delay. But uh, wait and see. And some of this, of course, depends on whether there is a deal and whether there is not a deal and whether an extension should take place. Juliana. Karen, thank you. Well, in addition to watching those developments around Brexit, markets are also going to be firmly fixated on the non-farm payrolls report, which is due out later today. Now, according to estimates from Dow Jones, the labor market is expected to have added 175,000 jobs in March. That comes after adding just 20,000 in February. You re may remember that. Uh, the employment rate is forecast to remain at 3.8% while average hourly earnings growth, the other key metric in today's report, is seen falling to 0.3% on a monthly basis. So keep an eye out uh, for that report coming up later today. And coming up on this show, with the Euro Group set to meet in Bucharest this morning, we hear exclusively from Romania's finance minister. Welcome to Box. Be sure to tune into our very own podcast. Head to cnbc.com, iTunes, Spotify or Google Play to have a listen and to download today's episode. And for our podcast listeners out there, stick around for some more.
Welcome back to Squawk Box. Bureau group ministers will begin a two-day summit in Bucharest later this morning. But while their official aim is to draft plans for greater convergence and competitiveness in the Eurozone, the event is set to be overshadowed by Brexit. And just a few moments ago, some headlines hit around comments from European Council President Donald Tusk. According to the BBC, he is proposing to offer the UK a 12-month flexible extension on that Brexit date. And uh, under, according to these reports, the his plan would allow the UK to leave sooner if Parliament is able to ratify a deal, but it would need to be agreed by EU leaders, of course, at a summit next week. Um, and uh, if they fail to ratify the deal, then the delay is likely to be uh, a long one. And so there's some flexibility in this new plan that Donald Tusk has apparently uh, set out to propose. Now, well, let's get out to Sylvia Amaro, who joins us in Bucharest for this Euro group meeting. Sylvia, as we just said, Brexit is set to dominate the agenda. What more can you tell us about what to expect from today's meeting? Well, there's plenty to be discussed here this morning. There's Brexit, of course, but there's also Greece and the biggest challenges to the Eurozone as a whole. But let me explain why we are in Bucharest. This country is hosting different European meetings at this stage. This is part of a rotating job in the European Union. And so yesterday I had the chance to interview the Romanian Minister for Finance, Mr. Eugene Tiadorovici, and he said that Romania has concrete plans to join the Eurozone in 2024. Let's listen in. It is Romania proved all the time that when we are fully, let's say, committed, uh, we can reach all the ambitious uh, targets but if I'm, we really want to do it. I'm sorry to say this, but it doesn't depend just on Romania. The other Eurozone countries need to approve it, right? Do you, uh, have the, the conversations that you've had with your colleagues, does you that see, suggest that you they're going to help you? You touch a sensitive issue once again. Uh, if the others will, 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 will like to also will invite us, uh, yes, we, we are living with this, uh, with this uh, approach in the EU level. We look, another example is the Schengen area. We are fully in line. Everybody at the EU level uh, declared that uh, from the technical point of view we are in line with all the requirements, but we still are not member of the Schengen area. Why? Because there are some economic interests. Romania not to be in the Schengen and to be outside the Schengen. So, uh, from our point of view, we will for sure fulfill all the requirements at the end of this, uh, before 2024, of course. Um, uh, so we will fulfill all the requirements. But at the end of the day, as you as you as you mentioned, the decision belongs to, to the rich uh, member states. Just one final question, Minister. Because we are living in a very nice family, <laughs> and in which all of us, we are equal, fit, equal. Do you feel that? Do you feel you're treated equally? It was equal? a joke. Just to make it clear. Final question, Minister. Um, certain gas companies um, looking to develop big offshore projects in the Black Sea have complained about the, the turnover tax and export restrictions that the Romanian government uh, has implemented. And they also said that these two measures in specific helping the Russian companies, in specific Gazprom. Do you have any deal with Moscow when it comes to this? Uh, <clears throat> I heard this type of jokes, but uh, they're only jokes. 
we would like to help only our country and first of all we care about our country so we don't care about russians or, or uh, about uh, all the others so uh, there is a law in place already in force uh, decided last uh, year um, in the parliament it was promulgated by the romanian president um, there are still some discussions in this respect uh, with these, uh, let's say, companies, mm -hmm. just to clarify, in fact, um, uh, let's, which is the, the final, uh, let, not the legal framework, the legal uh, environment uh, in order for them to start uh, their business in the, in the Black Sea and uh, not only. So this discussion will be for sure uh, closed soon. So Mr. Eugene Teodorovici, they're making it very clear that he's frustrated with how the European Commission is treating Eastern European countries. And this, guys, could be the next big problem for the European Union. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.